At Total Wine & More, find the best gifts for everyone on your list, whether it's a Cabernet for sis or a single-barrel bourbon that dad will love. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, you'll always find what you love and love what you find. Only at Total Wine & More. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly. Be 21. Where can you find the best gifts at great low prices that everyone will love? At Total Wine & More, of course, with so many great bottles to choose from. Find something for everyone on your list, whether it's a Cabernet for your sis, sparkling wine for a coworker, or a single barrel bourbon for dad. And if you need any help, just ask one of their friendly guides for advice. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, you'll always find what you love and love what you find. Only at Total Wine & More. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly, B21. Hi everyone, it's Kristen. Our team has needed a little extra time to take care of our families and ourselves recently. So this week, we are revisiting a favorite, especially comforting episode from last year. I hope you enjoy it, and we will be back with you soon. Hi, I'm Kristen McGlory, lifelong genius hunter. For almost a decade, I've been unearthing the recipes that have changed the way we cook. Now on the Genius Recipe Tapes, we go behind the scenes with the geniuses themselves, and we get to hear from you. This week, I'm talking with Benjamina Eboihi, who you might remember from The Great British Bake Off, or from her stunning cookbook, The New Way to Cake. I've earmarked at least half of the book, but the recipe that stopped me in my tracks and just would not leave my brain alone until I had made it was her hot chocolate and halva pudding. I'm curious, what are you picturing right now when I say hot chocolate and halva pudding? In one school of food styling, it might be a flat-topped pudding in a delicate glass, no streaks, with a perfectly rounded swoop of whipped cream and crumbled bits of halva, the dense, flaky, creamy, Middle Eastern sesame candy on top. In other words, it would look like it was plated by a pastry chef, not by me. This is not that. It's much better. First of all, it's actually a pudding in the British sense of the word, so it's more of a steamed cake served piping hot, as Benjamina says in the book. And in the photo, you're staring into a wide cake pan, Sticky chocolate sauce has bubbled unevenly up the sides of the pan. The surface is rippled and pocked with the occasional chunk of halva peeking through, and there's a messy gash in the lower corner, exposing more chocolate sauce pooling underneath. No garnishes. It is altogether mesmerizing, and it made me very hungry. And while it might sound dramatic and chaotic the way I'm describing it, there's also a minimalism and a quietness to the desserts that Benjamina styles. They exude calm at the same time as she is inviting you to tear in. So then, I made it. I stirred my batter together in a couple bowls, fast. I poured a whole lot of very watery sauce over the top and felt both nervous and excited about it. By the way, Benjamina will tell us more about this strange and wonderful genre of desserts called self-saucing puddings in the UK, and also in the US known by names like hot fudge pudding cake and chocolate upside down cake, but we'll get to that in a bit. Anyway, as mine baked, it looked just like the photo a fluffed chocolate cake and a sticky sauce all in one pan. I scooped it up right out of the oven and put vanilla ice cream on top like Benjamina says to do, and in one bite I immediately time traveled, back to the hot fudge brownie sundaes that I loved as a kid, the kind that you might get for free on your birthday at one of the more generous chain restaurants. Except, in Benjamina's version, instead of just a comforting, delicious, but one-note sweetness, there are flavors that I crave as an adult. Dark chocolate, bitter, complex espresso, and nutty, smoky sesame. You know, this was both the comfort and the thrill that I needed at this point in a very, very long winter and very long year. And I hope that it does the same thing for you. 
And at the end of the episode, just to finish out our therapy session for today, we'll also hear from a few of our listeners about their favorite chocolate recipes. But first, here's Benjamina to tell us more about self-saucing puddings and the cookbook where you can find 59 more doable, stop-in-your-tracks-beautiful cakes just like this one. So the new way to cake is, I guess, kind of like my love letter to cake. Like it was just my first kind of like love in the baking world. It's the first thing that I really learned how to make well when I first started baking as a child. Um, and so I wanted to bring something to home bakers that was was different. I think we all have our cakes in our repertoire that we go to again and again and again. We've all got a, our go-to chocolate cake, our go-to carrot cake. But I wanted to um, just show people that there is so much more that we can do with our cakes without... Um, without breaking the bank or without kind of feeling like it's really, really technical. Um, just in the same way that we can, you know, draw lots of herbs and spices for our cooking, we can also do that in our baking really easily um, and in our cakes. And so I just wanted to showcase um, really just new, um, flavorful ways of um, elevating our cakes. And it is such a beautiful book and the cakes are so beautiful and yet, so many of them are just one bowl cakes or, you know, cakes that you can stir together without having a stand mixer even, which was um, really nice to see. Yeah, I think it's important to remember sometimes when you are, when you do this as a job, you've got, all, I've got all the equipment, I've got all the gadgets, I've got everything, but it's, you know, just remembering that at some point I didn't have all of that and I did just have a bowl and a wooden spoon and I wanted to still make really tasty cakes. Um, and so just kind of keeping that in mind as I was developing the recipes that, um, yeah, I wanted a lot of them to be made without lots and lots of fancy equipment that anyone, anyone can kind of make some cakes from this book. You know, I, I work in food and I have a stand mixer, but I also have a toddler and um, <laughs> don't sleep a lot. And like, I really appreciate that I can make a cake just by pulling out a few things and stirring them together in a bowl. Yeah, yeah. Even I sometimes I'm a bit lazy and I'm like, oh, if I've got to use something, I've got to wash it and it's just another bit of washing up. So I also appreciate just, I just want a bowl, a spoon, a whisk, boom, done. Yeah. I could have featured any number of recipes from your book. I have bookmarked just about every other page with a genius angle or um, flavor combination that I hadn't thought of before, but because we were coming up on Valentine's Day and just at the end of this very long winter, the the photo and just the idea of your hot chocolate and halva pudding just immediately spoke to me. So um, I just wanted to hear a little bit more about that recipe and and how you came up with it. Yeah, I love, love, love that recipe. It is just so gooey and rich and everything that you want on a cold kind of winter's day. Um, but yeah, chocolate, it's like we call them over in the UK self-sourcing puddings. Um, and they are quite a little bit retro, a little bit old school. You'd have them like at school dinners back in when you were in school. Um, and they're super, super popular because they're just really fun and a little bit weird to make. Um, so it's when it's baked, it's essentially a really warm, um, soft sponge, um, usually chocolate, but it can be other flavours as well. And um, there's a pool of sauce that gets baked along with it at the bottom. And you've kind of just got like a two in one, really hot warming pudding. Um, and so this recipe is um, a chocolate and halva 
um, pudding. And so it's a really rich, dark chocolate sponge cake. And then you, um, before it gets baked, you make your batter, stir in your pieces of halva, and then the magic happens when you pour on um, your hot liquid and it sits on top before it goes in. And then as it bakes, it kind of sinks down to the bottom. And there's quite a lot of it too, right? You, you feel a bit strange. You've made this lovely cake batter and then you end up dumping <laughs> a, a really large puddle of, of hot water and cocoa and, and coffee over the top. Uh, and then, yeah, the magic of it sort of like switches places, the, yeah. the sauce and the cake. It's, it's a cool one. And I always get messages of that one, like, um, are you sure this is what I need to do? Because it's just the opposite <laughs> of what you've been told in baking and water and chocolate. And it's like, this looks insane. Um, and yeah, like you said, it is a lot of liquid that gets put on top. But I always message people back and say, just, just go with it. Trust me, it works, <laughs> it makes sense. Um, just go along with it. But yeah, so a lot of liquid gets put on top. Um, and then as it bakes, the cake um, rises to the top and then the liquid just sinks through and they just, yeah, they switch places and you've got a really nice chocolatey sauce at the bottom. And what other flavors, you mentioned that there would be um, others besides chocolate that you, like what other flavors have you seen in a self-saucing pudding before? Mm, so chocolate is the most common, but um, caramel or butterscotch is also a really, really popular one. They are quite sweet puddings because <laughs> you've got the cake and then you've got the sauce um, and the, the caramel ones can be super, super sweet. But they are like just really indulgent and warming puddings. Um, and I've also seen a few twists with like coconut and um, like a fruity sauce as well. I've not tried that, but I've seen that done quite a lot. But chocolate and then caramel are the most popular ones. Wow. And I think that maybe because, at least for me, having a warm brownie sundae with a scoop of ice cream on top, vanilla, like melting into the chocolate, is that's such a nostalgic thing for me. So it's it's hard for me to picture having this any other way. But I'm curious if you would serve it with any, like either alone or with any other kinds of accompaniments besides just a big scoop of vanilla ice cream? I, yeah, vanilla ice cream is kind of the classic, my go-to way to serve it. Um, but sometimes just a pouring of cream, of single cream or double cream, um, just to kind of cut through a little of that, a bit of that sweetness can really help. Um, or just on its own is also great. If I, like my sister, she's a bit of a sugar bean, so she'll have it with custard as well. That's handy having a sister who's a sugar fiend. <laughs> who's more of a sugar fiend, you or her? Oh, I mean, she's very, um, and she'll say this of herself, she's just very simple. She just likes simple things. I will, I like sweet things, but I like to add a bit more herbs and spices to kind of, you know, make it a bit more complex. But she's just like, give it to me straight. I just, that's how I want it. Yeah. <laughs> So if you're baking something for her, you have to hold back a little bit. Yeah, she always says, don't put cardamom in it because she knows how much I love cardamom. <laughs> She's like, I don't care what you make, just don't put any cardamom in it. Is that tough for you? Because when you're baking, you're not just baking for yourself, you're baking to please other people. So is that kind of hard to, to line up all of those expectations? It's a bit of a balance because, you know, I like to bake something that I'm going to enjoy, but also, you know, like you said, you're baking for other people to share for everyone to enjoy so you want to kind of make sure it's um things that people are going to love so I normally bake for my mom my sister and my um uh, housemates that I live with um but I think slowly but surely I'm kind of introducing them to things that they probably would never 
order on a menu in a restaurant they'd kind of stay away from but just kind of you know saying oh try this oh just give this a go let me know what you think and I think slowly they're kind of warming to the ideas of of things that they probably wouldn't um go for normally. Have you seen that sort of in your audience as well um that it's helping to introduce them to some of these new flavors? Definitely definitely I think people um on the most part want something new and they want to try different things and they've got their kind of solid um chocolate cake and their solid vanilla cake and carrot cake and they're just what I've found anyways people are looking for ways just to kind of make it a bit different but without going super super crazy and so I love just introducing really just small kind of tweaks or spices or herbs that you can use and just to kind of transform something that you're probably quite used to um so yeah people are I find looking for just small ways to 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 try something that they're familiar with but it's just a little bit different and yeah so introducing lots of new ingredients along the way well I have to say that you're your book definitely did that super effectively. I mean, I, I'll admit I am someone who's always looking for new flavors, but the way that you did it, just the combination of the very approachable, you know, introductions that you write to the recipes and the fact that it's, you know, it's not a ton of different flavors at once. It's just like a few very carefully chosen mm. ones that maybe we haven't seen together before, but immediately are intriguing and make sense. Oh, thank you. This is the Genius Recipe Tapes. We'll be right back. You reach for the top olive oils and invest in the best pans. But in the kitchen, how well do you care for your greatest tool, your hands? When mine take a beating cooking and cleaning, which is often, I use Bag Bomb to work its wonders on my poor, distressed skin. Created 125 years ago on a Vermont dairy farm, their soaps smell great and clean hands without stripping moisture, and their fast-absorbing lotion means I can quickly get back to cooking. Treat your hard-working hands to Bag Bomb, every chef's best friend. Use code FOOD52 for 20% off your order on bagbomb.com. Good through 2024. You reach for the top olive oils and invest in the best pans. But in the kitchen, how well do you care for your greatest tool, your hands? When mine take a beating cooking and cleaning, which is often, I use Bag Bomb to work its wonders on my poor, distressed skin. Created 125 years ago on a Vermont dairy farm, their soaps smell great and clean hands without stripping moisture, and their fast-absorbing lotion means I can quickly get back to cooking. Treat your hard-working hands to Bag Bomb, every chef's best friend. Use code FOOD52 for 20% off your order on bagbomb.com. Good through 2024. See, I would love to just take a quick step back too and hear more about what your relationship to baking was like earlier on before you decided to apply to be on Great British Bake Off. So I've always, always, always loved food. Like being in the kitchen was just fun. It was just a fun place for me. My mum cooked all the time, um, but didn't bake so much. Like baking wasn't part of our culture. It just wasn't something that was really done, um, but had a sweet tooth, like dessert, like sweet things, like most children. Um, and I think got to the age of about 10 or 11. Um, and my mum just bought me like a kid's cookbook and just slowly started working my way through the sweet section um, of that. And just really was fascinated by it, like um, just how you could make so many different things from the kind of the same set of ingredients of butter sugar eggs and flour and you could do so 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 many things just with those simple ingredients do you remember some of the early baking recipes that you tried and you know maybe were some of them wins and some of them not so much 
<laughs> looking back a lot of them were not great <laughs> <laughs> but at the time you know it's like oh my gosh I made like these really cool cupcakes and they're just so 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 basic really simple and nothing fancy at all but you know at the time you're really proud of them you followed this recipe all the way through you've got something that you can eat and your family can eat and you know probably pretend that it's the best thing they've ever had um so lots of like just cupcakes um lots of like really simple cookies and biscuits um I did try bread a few times that was disaster like trying to work out how to knead from a book without kind of having like visual aids when I was a lot younger so that was tricky but um gave it a good go <laughs> gave it a good go <laughs> would you say that you you know failures made you more determined to get them right the next time yeah definitely I'm someone who I I, I want to get things right and it will bug me and bother me that I've tried to do something and it's just not worked and I want to find out why um so competitive but with with myself I guess um so yeah if I if I've not got something right I want to know why and I want to make sure that I can nail it the next time I appreciate you bringing that up because I feel like that's not something that a lot of people hear about in the cookbook building process you know and that's that's kind of this opaque thing that that as cookbook readers and people baking and cooking from cookbooks we don't necessarily hear that that these recipes didn't come out just fully formed and to hear to hear about the struggles and and that it doesn't always turn out right the first time and that you keep going back I feel like the fact that you share that with people is very uh very inspiring yeah I think it's something that should be spoken about more because I'm pretty sure everybody who's written a cookbook knows that you know you've got a you've got a test and test again and some things just don't work or just don't want to work and you've really got to push past that you know why are you not working but I wish someone had told me that when I was first um doing my book because it can be a bit you can feel quite defeated um in the beginning you're like um supposed to be writing all these really cool recipes and somehow things are just not falling into place in this kind of you know ideal um picture that I had of you know writing a cookbook and it's just going to be you know, sitting in a coffee shop and typing it up and it's going to be so glamorous. And it was quite the opposite of that. <laughs> was it sort of similar when you were developing recipes that you were using on the Great British Bake Off too? I think that was the first time where I had to properly like develop recipes and like test them because before then it was just baking for family, for friends, birthday cakes, um, just really chilled, just for fun on the weekend sort of thing. Um, so being on Bake Off was the first time I had to properly like test and test and test and test and it was you know a bit of a baptism of fire of just how much um, had to be done so it was it was quite tough it was quite tough um, but I learned so much so 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 quickly um, just coming up with ideas really quickly um, and also like starting to learn not to hold on to recipes too tightly and kind of allow them to flow where they want to flow. Can you think of an example where that was really true for you? I think during the show, I think it was bread week and bread was still not my like favorite thing to do. I was enjoying it more, but it still wasn't kind of my strength. And there was um, like a braided bread challenge. And initially I'd wanted to do something um, really, really intricate with um, like different types of flowers and like have each braid kind of filled with something. And I had this like image in my head that I just could not shake. I said, this is what it needs to look like. But practicing it so many times and it just would not work. And kind of just having to step back and kind of came to the re realization that actually it didn't need to be as like detailed that I, I ended up doing like a bigger 
kind of braided piece, which works so much better than having lots and lots and lots of moving parts. Um, it worked better as just having less, basically. If that Interesting. Makes sense. Do you feel like that's a part of your process a lot of times to dream big and then pair back? Mm, it's a bit of both. And I think now I've been doing it for a while. I feel like now it's kind of um, a bit of second nature just to do less. Um, but in the beginning, it was very much I want to just show all the things and all the ideas and the flavors. And there's just so much going on in my brain. And I want to just show it all now. Um, and so kind of learning to actually some things work a lot better when you just yeah, less is more a lot of the time, and it does, simplicity is just beautiful. And now, here are a few more leads on your next favorite chocolate dessert, straight from our listeners. Hi, I'm Kristen Chan, and I'm calling from Southern California. One year, my best friend Ko and I were super obsessed with chocolate cakes. We found this recipe on Epicurious. It's the double layer chocolate cake from a 1999 issue of Gourmet. And man, it did not disappoint. It was perfectly moist, fudgy. We topped it off with some fresh berries and mm, delicious. Hi, my name is Mike Cooperman. I'm calling from Wisconsin. I love Pierre Hermes chocolate shortbread because they are moist, fudgy with a hint of salt. They go great dipped in chocolate fondue or just pour on some dark chocolate ganache. I'm Jenna Hamshaw. I'm the blogger behind The Full Helping, and I need to tell you about my love of a dark chocolate pear cake that I've been making during the holidays for the last few years. So the inspiration for this cake was a bunch of photos I had seen online of chocolate pear cakes that featured the use of a whole pear. So um, in the photos, you would have this like beautiful sliced cross section of whole pear embedded into a chocolate cake. And it looked so cool to me, and I thought it would be fun to make my own vegan version. Except then when I actually baked the cake, I got lazy and I didn't really feel like messing around with the whole pear. I thought maybe it would sink to the bottom or it wouldn't be easy to slice into. So I just chopped my pear up and I threw half of the chopped pear into the batter and I sprinkled the rest of the pear on top along with some dark chocolate chunks and some cane sugar. As it turns out, this is like the perfect low key way to decorate because you get these lovely juicy pockets of pear. The chocolate is really melty when the cake first comes out of the oven, but then it sets and becomes these yummy chocolate chunks. And then you have a little crunch from the sugar. So the cake has like a lot of pizzazz in spite of the fact that you don't need to make a fancy ganache or frosting or anything like that. And it's just become a really lovely tradition at the holiday season for me and my mom. We both love the cake. It's chocolatey, it's sweet, but not too sweet. And we even had it this year in 2020. So in spite of the fact that very little felt normal, this is one tradition that stayed alive for us. Our show was put together by Coral Lee, Emily Hanhan, and me, Kristen McGlory. If you have a beloved chocolate recipe that you think is genius, I would always love to hear about it at genius at food52.com. And if you like the genius recipe tapes, we would really appreciate it if you could take a sec to go rate and review us. And if you haven't yet, subscribe. That way you can get all of the genius recipes and stories and dramatic readings of pudding photos popping up in your feed every week. Thank you so much for listening and for supporting the show. Talk to you next week. <laughs>